Welcome, everyone. We are here in the bunker. My name is Jason Hunt. I am the editor here at Sci-Fi for Me. Glad you're all here with us. And uh, we have a number of ways that you can interact with this show. For those of you who are new, we do have uh, comments open. The email address, live from the bunker at sci-fi for me.com. If you prefer to listen to this show as a podcast, we're on a number of podcast players. And, of course, uh, there's all of the social medias that, uh, that we have, so you can join us over there as well. Okay, so let's dive in for a moment because uh, we've got a new movie that's hitting digital and Blu-ray. It is called Never Back Down Revolt. And it is the latest, the fourth entry in the Never Back Down series of films. And joining us now, the director of Same, Kelly Madison, is here with us. Welcome. Thanks for being here. Thank you so much, Jason. You know, that's a really good question. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Well, um... Get that in first and foremost. Well, I appreciate that. I'll I, that'll that'll help me with the with the version two that we're that we're putting together. So yeah, I better be in there now. I want to be in that edit. Absolutely. So I'm looking at at your bio: writer, director, producer, actress. Your big hyphenate, multi hyphenate here. Is there one over the other that's a priority for you at this point in your career? A hundred percent, director. Yeah, I mean. I kind of evolved from each one of those. So I started out as an actress in Chicago. And then when I moved to Los Angeles, I quickly went behind the camera. And I don't think I've acted in God knows how many years. But uh, so then I became a writer, producer, director in that order. And as soon as I started directing, I just felt so much at home. I'm like, (laughs) I'm like, this is my space. Like, this is my jam. Well, and and over the last few years, you know, we've heard people talking about, you know, women in that space and the directors. But I, I get to thinking there aren't a, a small number. You've got Catherine Bigelow, Taryn O'Neill. There's you. There's Amanda Tapping, Roxanne Dawson, Chloe Zhao, Patty Jenkins. I mean, you could just go through this list. Has the space opened up? enough at this point for women to direct i mean i it, it almost seems like a, a nonsense question but we keep hearing about you know representation and and diversity and that kind of thing and i'm thinking there have been women directors for a for a, a long while now maybe not as many as men proportionally but do you still feel like there's a or, or do you feel like there's still room to grow on that front well, first of all, I just want to say I'm impressed that you can name eight of them. Um, so that's super impressive because usually, uh, Jason, people can name like two. Yeah. Like if you go on the streets, Jimmy Kimmel style, and you start asking people, name two female directors, like you'd be lucky if they named Bigelow and maybe Patty Jenkins or something like that. But obviously you being in the industry, so you know more. But they're just not widely known, and there's definitely not enough. And just speaking from someone in the uh, female director's seat, um, even though you were able able to name eight, like think about how many male directors you can name, you could probably sit down and write out a hundred. And just the reality is, unfortunately, the numbers just aren't changing that drastically as you would think. If you look, you know, there's studies obviously published every year 
There's about two to 300 feature films made a year, and about 4% of them are directed by women. So wow. it's like, you, you do the math. Yeah. What Where you are seeing growth is in television, uh, because now you can watch series a lot and see like half you know, women and diverse people and diverse names on, on series, they seem to be giving a lot more freedom. But in the feature world, which is where I live, um, it's not that much growth yet. Um, it's crazy. There's some, like definitely some co- coming through the cracks. But I think we still have to fight and keep going. And, and that's the same thing with, um, you know, diverse male directors as well. But I just look forward to the time when... We don't have to have a conversation about what gender you are or what race you are. You're just a good director or you're not. And then there's some balance, you know. So I know what we're trying to create right now is balance. So how does that affect when you approach a project when you I don't know if it's an audition, an interview, deciding which projects you're going to chase. How how is your process now versus when you got started directing? Has it changed a lot? Has it evolved in in terms of what kind of goals you're setting for yourself and what kind of projects you want to go after? No, quite frankly, the process is the same. I've just, I've had, as you probably spoke to other filmmakers, it often takes years and years and years to develop projects. So, um, and you have scripts that go through rewrites and rewrites, and then you put a script down and then you come back to it six months later and you work on it again. And, you, you know, as a filmmaker, you kind of have all these different projects on your burner and some some hit the front burner and some hit the back burner. And then, you know, you've heard directors, you know, oh, I was watching the movies that made us fabulous show on Netflix. And Tim, they were talking about Tim Burton's Nightmare Before Christmas. And it was just this nagging idea that he had, which is, again, this is all of us, all of us filmmakers that generate their own content. Right. It was a nagging idea that he was, he was working at Disney and they were like, nah, you're too dark for us. Like, no thanks. And, um, but they owned the rights to it and then they got, then he got the rights back years later. And then, I don't know, it's a whole big to do, but you could be directing a movie and then all of a sudden it hits you, you know, I want to go back and do Nightmare Before Christmas, but it was an idea he had like 10, 15 years ago. And then you go back to it. So it's just all these stories are living within you. And then what is the right time to bring them out and get them made? And it's always just about timing and momentum. And if you're pushing a project that's not really gaining a lot of momentum, you kind of then maybe take a break from that, ease off that one and go to something else. And you see what energy levels are flowing on which projects. But I've got projects that I've had for three years. I've got projects I've had for eight years. And so you're just trying to get them all made. And, and since I do generate my own content, I work on that. And then you've got what's called ODAs, which are open directing assignments that come to you um, as well. And I'm, I'm open to directing other people's content like I did with Never Back Down Revolt. I didn't write the script. It came to me as an ODA. And I read the script and loved it and then signed on board the project. And then there's other projects that I'm writing myself or you're pitching or you're putting together lookbooks and decks, you know, or you're getting together with writers and you're working on treatments and outlines. And like, and this is kind of your lifestyle. And um, on the one hand, development can be scary because you're like, when's my next oh, job? Yeah. Uh, you know, you're like, oh, that's scary. But then on the other hand, it's like, dang, I get to talk about aliens all day. Like, this is a pretty cool job, you know? Well, and, um, and you're directing an action picture with Never Back Down. You've done a number of different genre pictures. You've done uh, with this Dear Mr. Gacy is almost a, a docudrama type of thing. 
so you're in you're in various different sandboxes. Do you have a preference in terms of what kind of films that you want to make? I mean, you're 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 kind of in a number of different places here. I just love elevated genre. So anything that is elevated, you know, so from a horror film, it would be The Shining and Poltergeist and The Exorcist to an action film, it would be Terminator, Aliens and The Abyss, you know. Um, so it's just those films that they're all seminal movies that will go down throughout all of history. And they're so powerful and they get under your skin and they stay with you for a lifetime, you know, like a movie like The Exorcist. And so I just want to create stories like that. So it doesn't have to be in a specific uh, genre. It's horror, action, sci-fi. Um, those kind of move me the most. But, you know, good old-fashioned drama is fine, too. I've written some of those. Um, it's just good storytelling, really, you know. And it's a shame that sometimes Hollywood likes to put you in a box. But at the same time, at the moment, I'm embracing the box. If I'm, you know, the branding is a female action director, like I'll take it because there's not many of us out there. But uh, I just want to branch out and tell all stories that are, you know, moving. So the story on Never Back Down. This is the fourth of these films, and it doesn't seem, just from reading descriptions of the various pictures, it doesn't seem like they're all connected to each other from a plot standpoint, they're more thematically aligned in terms of the idea of a fight club type of scenario. How did, how did you, you know, you said this script came to you and you read the script and you liked it. What were, what were these initial discussions like? Because you're now coming into an established milieu almost where, where, you know, you're not having to follow a particular plot you know act one act two act three like you're doing a, you know the end of a trilogy you're you're just doing the next installment almost like an episode in a television show how did that affect the way you approach this project is, is it part of a whole or are you just looking at this one story by itself oh the story completely stands on its own i believe that the producers and the sony exec have, they are the ones who decided to sort of rebrand the franchise, step outside of the, um, you know, the known storyline with the, with the known characters, create something completely different, hire a female writer, come up with a female empowered storyline, which in this case, it's super unique and exciting about women being trafficked into this gritty underground fight ring being forced to fight each other and then inevitably revolting fantastic sign me up and then let's find a female director and that's when i came on board so and then when we talked about like the palette of the film the look of the film the tone of the film um when i spoke about with my producers they embraced me to do whatever i wanted creatively and then with my director of photography oliver Longcrane, we wanted to make something sort of dark and gritty and Tonally, very, very different. It's a completely different film. So that's going to maybe rub people the wrong way that are um, fans of the franchise. I hope not. You know, it's nice when um, things change up and are fresh. If, if you look at those storylines before, great films, but we've seen that before. Yep. You know, that style of movie, that style of martial arts fight movie. So this, at least the one thing I'm gathering from everyone that has seen the film so far is I'm hearing words like very original, very unique, never saw that before, 
um, different, very different, cool tone. I wasn't expecting that. So those are all great things for a filmmaker. So hopefully people are enjoying it. Yes, but it's completely just separate from the franchise. Now, having said that, I'm hoping um, that if this film does well, that we might do a spinoff with the girls to into a Never Back Down 5 where you would continue the storyline. And we are all excited to explore that if it's a possibility. How much of a challenge is it directing action? Because, you know, you, you have uh, something, say, for example, like The Last Jedi, and you have that big throne room lightsaber battle right there in the middle, and there are people who have taken to YouTube and started analyzing and examining, well, this stunt person holds and pauses, and this stunt person does this and all that. And people try to yeah. pick this stuff apart, and... and you have the challenge both of making it believable and keeping it safe. And, of course, as we've, as we've seen with the Alec Baldwin situation, if you have circumstances where they're not... I don't want to say they were cutting corners because I don't know anything about that, but you're certainly restricted by the whatever resources that you have on hand. You have to, you have to work with what you've got, basically. So how much of a challenge is it to... to make that action believable in a picture like this where you're you're working inside of a box this is what you've got to work with that's a great question <laughs> <laughs> now that's twice i'm going to be saying it often um no it is a really good question though um and it's a it's a big challenge and it's terrifying sometimes to be quite honest i get nervous with stunts and so I, I interact um, very intimately with my stunt team, which I've noticed in certain stunt teams and certain stunt coordinators that they're not used to that. So now I tell them, hey, just so you know, I am a director that it's not like, hey, I'm going to go sip my cappuccino while you're doing second unit stunts. Like, no, I'm involved in the stunts. Every aspect of the stunts, that's what I want to be involved in. It, it's just it's my my film and my vision and i just and i love that part of it but when it comes down to a gritty dangerous stunt i get very nervous i talk to the stunt person you sure you're okay you sure you feel safe yeah okay I, you know i make sure that i'm in there talking to the person that's doing the stunt and if it's like a a fall off a building you know or some type of fall or a car hit I've done all sorts of things I've done already, and um, and then I make sure that everyone's okay, and I, that I've I make sure to hire competent stunt coordinator, very competent A-level stunt people. I try to work with, and then you'll be as safe as possible, right? But in the terms of fighting, um, I get a little bit more aggressive with my us, my actors, and my martial artists because. No one's gonna die, most likely from like a karate chop to the face, or if anyone hits you or kicks you or punches you a little too hard, you'll get some bruises. Right. And it's, it's not most likely not gonna be life-threatening if it's just martial arts, right? So then I push my actors a little bit more. I'm like, come on, you could take the kick, you could take the hit. Like, <laughs> I just, I guess I got used to working with the Indonesians, like in the gate, when I brought Checha over from Indonesia, and they just have a different set of rules. And they have everything is contact. So your punches are contact, but they're pulled. Your hits, your slaps, your kicks, your falls, they yeah. do them all themselves. 
it's all contact. And I, I fell in love with that. So now I'm just like, come on, you guys. You know? So I, I'm a little bit aggressive in that regard, but because the most you're going to get out of it is a, bru is a bruise and you're not going to die. But it's the other dangerous stunts that I get really nervous about. We, we hear stories about, uh, for example, Ruby Rose coming out and talking about the, the safety concerns that she had on Batwoman. We've got Rust out there. Is, is this just something that's coming to the fore now that people are talking about it? Or is this something you think, as far as you're aware, has this been a concern for a, a long while? Or are we just starting to have this problem? Oh, no, I don't think it would be just starting. It's probably a mixed bag of like, <clears throat> you know, I was discussing with a camera operator friend of mine who works on very high budget films. And he tried to blame the budget of the film on, you know, the rust situation. Oh, well, it was low budget. Well, A, I said, I don't agree. I said, first of all, it was $7 million. That's a lot of money. It's not that low budget. Yeah. Um, it wasn't like a $200,000 movie. It's, it was like $7 million. You should have professionals on that movie. It was union. You know, you're paying union people. So um, I've worked on, again, $1 million, $2 million, $3 million, $4 million movies. And we hire the utmost professionals with the utmost safety. So I did not think it was a budget thing. I just think who you hired in that particular situation on Rust, I wasn't there, so I don't know. But it seemed like there was a perfect storm of multiple people making poor decisions. Right. So I think it was a perfect storm of that. But but safety issues, I actually dated a stuntman for six years, um, and we're still super good friends now. And I was nervous as hell for him all the time. And I heard the stories about some people getting hurt, and there's definitely stories that don't come to the media of some people dying So um, on films, and just nobody wants to talk about it. So I think it's existed probably since Charlie Chaplin, days but uh but people probably haven't talked about it that much because they just the studios don't want that out there like so and so died on blah 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 movie so uh it's kind of scary so maybe now just like the cancel culture or the, the culture where we're trying to bring some balance to the world and some people are speaking up maybe that's what's going on now i don't know so when when you're getting ready to do this, I mean, your stunt people are trained for this kind of thing. And you've got actors who might not have ever done this sort of thing before. So there's that added level of less skill, less training, but you still have to sell it. You still have to make it believable. And, you know, we every now and again, we hear those stories, you know, I'm on set, and I just couldn't sell it. Really slap me. Really hit me. Do, just do that. Right. How, mu how much do you have to take your actors in hand and say, okay, this is what we have to do in order to make this thing look believable? How much, and I know this involves <laughs> a, a great deal of trust, but what kind of things do you do to enable that trust on set? Because the, the stunt people have been doing this for a while. Your actor probably hasn't. So where do you find that balance between those two? Well, to be quite frank, if a hit isn't working and it's not selling, it's the camera. Like, so, it, you know, and so the camera placement either needs to change and I'll say to my stunt coordinator, you know, go give the note to the camera operator because it's not working. 
uh, or if it's the actor just not being able to sell a particular punch right. or a kick, then honestly, you just changed. I changed the move. I'm like, you know, and I've done that. I did that on the gate. I'm like, hey guys, this is this punch isn't selling. It's not looking real at all. So let's skip the punch and what else is going to work here? Let's change the choreography. So you just kind of adjust on the fly. But I would never tell an actor to take a hit or take a slap or anything to the face. Um, even the Indonesians don't hit the face. Right. They hit, they go close to the face, but they don't hit the face. So I would never ask anyone to do that. But, um, and if I am pushing a stunt person or an actor to take a push or a kick or something, I'm like, are you comfortable with that? Can you try it? You put pads on. There's ways to protect the um, the bodies with pads. And then you try it a couple times in rehearsal. You go, you sure you're okay? You could do it. And then you go for it. But yeah, if the, the move isn't working, you have to work it out between the actor, the cameraman, and your stunt coordinator or your fight coordinator and go, all right, guys, this isn't working. Let's move. Let's try something else. Or it's just a matter of camera placement. Or if the camera isn't hitting hard enough to sell the move, things like that. Right. So those are, that's the dance. So what kind of challenges did you run into with Never Back Down? Because, again, it's not it's not your idea. You're working with somebody else's script. You're having to make this thing work and, and sell it. What kind of challenges as a director did you run into? One challenge that we literally were going to make a T-shirt. No time. <laughs> no time, no budget. No time, no budget. We were so rushed. In our schedule, we had 20 shooting days. Uh, it wasn't enough time for like 10 fight scenes. Oh, yeah. Like you've got all these fight scenes. Then you've got actor scenes where you've got six girls to cover. Mm. So you're like, have to cover each one of their lines and their reactions. So there's too many characters to cover and too many fight scenes, too many actions. It just wasn't enough time. So that's my biggest complaint. It's just I wish I had five more days. Yeah. of shooting and I would have felt much more comfortable with the results of the movie um, you just would just get so much more lush footage better coverage you know not not rush um, and then we we shot in London during the height of COVID oh. so we only oh. had 10 hour days why do you ask no <laughs> idea usually a film set is a 12 hour day like that's your standard yeah You're, our crew contracts that we signed in the UK were 12 hour days, but because of COVID, they're like, nah, we'll give you 10 hours. And we're like, why? Well, that gives them an extra hour of sleep so they won't get sick. I'm like, what is the logic there? Like, that's crazy. So basically you just took two hours out of my shooting day. So imagine only having 20 shoot days and then you're shooting 10 hour days. So that was our biggest stressor with everyone involved from, producers to dp to actors it's just rushing like i just wish we had more time oh i can totally sympathize i did a i did a romantic comedy one time we shot seven days uh because that's all i had my my lead actor he'd flown up from mobile alabama and the entire time it was all right get it get the shot get the shot get the shot get the shot next thing next thing next thing i i totally get the Uh. The rush. So stressful, right? It is. Yeah, and I wasn't even doing stunts. So, yeah, I can only imagine adding that factor into it as well because it has to go by the numbers or you've got to reset and do the whole thing over again. Oh, yeah. Imagine a a special effect 
where you have to, and, and this just happened recently, blow up the lamp, explode something, uh, uh, throw an actor through a door, a balsa wood door, you name it, right? And you get, oh, we only have one take because time. We don't have time to reset the balsa wood again if it doesn't work. Where the oh, we had a toilet break. I was like slamming someone's head into a toilet, and the toilet was like had to be set. <laughs> and you, it's just so much pressure to like set up for this one moment of time, and you get one take on it on a movie with you know on the size movie that this is. You get one shot. Yeah. And a lot of times we'll get it. Yeah, you know, most of the time, but it's so stressful. Like you have to get it one take. So as a director, do you find yourself, because you have, you know, you're basically the, the eye of the storm there, right there on set between everybody, you know, the swing gang and the, and the, and the grips and the camera people and the actors and the makeup and hair and all of this, all of this stuff swirling around you. Do you feel added pressure to be the calm one in the room to be the one who sits there that everything's under control i'm under control this whole thing is fine everything's going to be fine are you or or do you feel like you're the dog in the flaming room saying everything's fine a hundred and fifty percent correct <laughs> that you have to be the calm one yeah i i can't even imagine if you're just some raving lunatic psycho director running around screaming which I'm sure there's those directors out there, but I have to get like, there's so much pressure that I have to get so calm and there's so frequently like adversity. So-and-so happened. This wardrobe didn't come on the right truck. You know, it got this wardrobe is lost. What do we do? That always a problem, you know, in production they say producers are firefighters. Like all they do is put out <laughs> fires. Right. Right. So it's just like you have to get so calm and think because otherwise, how do you think to problem solve? And one thing I actually pride myself on as a director, and I tell people because of my producing background um, that I can direct and produce, that I'm able to problem solve it and come up with creative um, solutions on the fly. And you have, and again, time is of the essence, right? So you don't have any time. So, for example, speaking of this gun issue. Um, with this horrible tragic gun issue that happened recently in the UK, they have the strictest, the most insane gun laws I've ever seen, which I was so grateful for because UK doesn't have gun violence. Um, so they, the laws were so strict that we had a fight scene that we choreographed outside in an alley. And then when we went to go shoot, the cops came up and said, wait, you can't show a prop gun or a movie gun outside. You can't even show it because at the end of the choreography, the guy goes to pull the gun on the actor. He manages to take it away from him and smash him in the head and knock him out with a gun. It wasn't even a shooting of the gun, but the gun was present, right? right? So he said, no way, can't do it, can't show a gun in public at all. So I said, okay, so I thought on the fly, what do we do, what do we do? Oh, why not have him kick him through the door and go inside and then we could um, back inside to the gym they were in a fighting gym and then we can um, pull the gun out inside the hallway just simple solutions like that but that's literally your job every minute of the day yeah every minute of the day it's problem solving so we've we've gone all this time we haven't really talked very much about the plot of never back down revolt this particular never back down what's uh what's the the plot of this one because it's different from all of the rest of them how so 
Oh, for sure. So it is uh, about a, a human trafficking situation where women are being groomed and manipulated and then taken and trafficked into an underground, gritty, dirty fight ring um, where they're forced to fight each other. And then when the lead, our uh, character Anya, played by Olivia Papika, when she gets um, manipulated into this space, she's not having it. And so she leads the rest of the woman in a revolution. And that's the basic plot of the movie. It's, I think it's fantastic. So what were some of the what were some of the challenges in uh, you've got a, a group of women there and now all of them have to learn how to fight. Uh, yes. how, how many of them had any skills ahead of time? How many of them had to learn right there during production? Very few of them had very few skills. Um, it was a challenge during casting. You know, I attempted to we really uh, saw hundreds of actors we cast a wide net. I said, let's look for anyone that's got a strong fight background and let's read them, you know? But they didn't have strong enough acting skills. So we had to pivot, go to an actress, and then use the three weeks. And we basically had three weeks to train them. And I thought that they did a pretty incredible job for some of them that hadn't had a fight background yeah. to learn how to throw a punch and like and do it pretty well in a three-week span. So um, I was pretty proud of them for that. So that, that's the way we tackled it in this. Because there was a lot of drama, a lot of scenes, a lot of dialogue. It's not something where you could just throw fighters at you know, and can't act. So. Okay, well, we are going to take a really quick break and come back talking to Kelly Madison, the director of Never Back Down Revolt. And we will have more with her right after this. Stand by. You're watching Sci-Fi for Me TV. It's like, what? okay, hold on. You've got somebody, and all he does is put on some glasses and slicks back his hair, and nobody knows who he is. Nobody recognizes him. It's it's it's, it's like that that uh, that scene in in the Green Lantern movie where she looks at him and it's like, how? You know, like, you just put on a mask and you expect me not to recognize you? The H2O Podcast, Monday night at 8, only on Sci-Fi For Me TV. Thanks for watching Sci-Fi For Me TV. Be sure to connect with us on social media and subscribe to our channels so you don't miss our next broadcast. You're watching Sci-Fi For Me TV, delivering the multiverse since 2009. Back live from the bunker with Kelly Madison, the director of Never Back Down Revolt, the fourth in the series, but not her only project. Uh, in my uh, research, Kelly, I want to ask you about this one because there's been some mention, some people wondering what's going on with Hotel 33, and I'm kind of curious what that one's about. That's an oldie but goodie. Um, I love that project, and it's very dear to my heart for many reasons. I went to Williamsport, Pennsylvania, twice uh, to do research on the real-life true story that existed 
in Williamsport um, on this on this particular project. But I got a little spooked. I'm going to be honest. Um, the movie deals with demonic themes, demonic possession, good versus evil, and things of that nature. And I started researching, like, oh, I don't know, the 25 people that died in the making of The Exorcist, and the little poltergeist girl died. And but there's, I don't know, there's so much, you know, that playing with energies and whatnot. Not to sound too poo poo, but I put I put Hotel 33 on the back burner. You know, of projects only specifically because I didn't feel like I was ready at that time to tackle bringing in those kinds of dark energies. Right. Like, for example, I have a horror film called Ryu that I'm working on with Tom Ortenberg, um, who's heading up Open Road again. And uh, it's it, it could be terrifying and frightening, but it it doesn't come from those same energies. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's it's more psychological horror. Um, more um, that this project I'm excited about. It's more like a modern day Jacob's Ladder, which oh, is like one of my favorite films of all time. So, um, so, but that comes from the psychology of like he's, you know, between life and death and going through that ladder, and and so it's not like fighting evil forces in, in, the, in that regard. So anyway, so I'm not saying I will never do Hotel Thirty Three. I've talked to some spiritual guides, and they said we could protect you. We could put some spells or whatever on you to protect your energy space. If you do enter those, you know, the Latin culture is really big. Right. On uh, those sort of spooky uh, and demonic energies and things like that. And I believe there's stuff on this planet that we are not aware of. So I, I will not pretend to know if that stuff exists in one way or another. I'm smart enough to say that I know that I don't know. Um, but anyway, so that is the truth of it. You asked the truth. So <laughs> you asked for the truth of why, so, but instead I wrote, I wrote Ryu and um, I'm working on that. And then I've got a grounded sci-fi project called Kexberg. And it's basically like a revisionist history story about the UFO crash in Kexberg in 1965 and what happens after that crash. And it's literally one of my favorite projects on the planet that I'm insanely excited about. We're finishing up a rewrite on it and then I'm going to take it out. Um, and then I'm working on some really exciting ballsy action stuff that you guys are going to freak out on. And that's going to take a little bit of a hot minute to develop. Um, but we're partnering with some killer people and uh, hopefully we shoot that in the summer. So anyway, development takes a long time, but I'm working on stuff. Okay. So has anybody approached you yet about franchises? Would you consider franchises? I mean, Never Back Down is kind of a franchise in and of itself being, you know, now this fourth movie in a series and you want to take it uh, to a fifth one, possibly. You look at things like Star Wars, the Marvel Cinematic Universe, the DC films, that sort of thing. Is there any interest in jumping into the, any of those pools for you? Absolutely. Yeah. And hopefully Kevin Feige is listening to your podcast. <laughs> uh, one of the main producers at Marvel. Yes, I want to do a Marvel movie. Um, so absolutely. Yes. And also and or um, I have this fabulous idea to do the um, Catwoman origin story. Oh, okay. Kind of in, in the same twist that the Joker did, because I, I like movies that kind of skew dark. And I thought the Joker was masterful. So uh, to do something with DC, I'm okay with as well. Yes. So please call me 
<laughs> now, let me ask you about uh, uh, Never Back Down 5. You're hoping to, to be able to do that. Some of these franchises, like the Halloween pictures or Friday the 13th, or, you know, some of them have a tendency past a certain point you know, you have that jump the shark moment where the entire franchise seems to just kind of come off the rails. I think for the Friday the Thirteenth movies, was probably when Jason goes to space. You know, it's those it's those wild haired <laughs> ideas that some people get. Yeah, is there have has anybody ever suggested anything in in this particular environment here that you look at them and just think? No, that idea is not going to work in this in this franchise. It, there's no way. No, only we've only had great ideas for the number five so far. Um, so no jump the shark moment. And I think it's more difficult to do in action than it is in horror. Uh, you know, in horror, you have a creative uh, freedom. Like, yeah, let's put him in space, or he's in a dreamland, or he's really this, or he's really not alive. He's dead. Like, uh, think think about how much <clears throat> magic they played with um, Freddy Krueger in Nightmare on Elm Street, right. where the director actually, I thought, again, masterfully crafted going in and out of uh, are the actors in a dream or in the reality? Are they in a dream or in the reality? And he played with that throughout the whole film, and it really generated a lot of suspense. But you can do that in horror. Horror is the only genre you can do that in, and unless it's fantasy. Um, you know, horror or fantasy, but otherwise you have to follow, like it's an action film, a fight movie, you kind of have to follow basic rules of reality, but you can play with tone, as we did in this film, you could play with uh, grittiness, of course, if you have bigger budgets, you have bigger action, you know, smaller budget, smaller action, but, um, so there's, there's things you could play with, but um, I think it's harder to come up with those crazy, crazy, crazy ideas as one you can do in horror, and then as you're further in a franchise, too, like, if you're on Friday the 13th, 12, I don't know how many there are. It's like you're going to run out of ideas. <laughs> right. Well, now I don't know. you talk about, you know, this one being different from the others. And there's I don't know how much concern you have over, you know, fans of the franchise. You hope they like this one as much as they like the others. And you mentioned cancel culture earlier. And we've talked a little bit about representation and that sort of thing. Are are you concerned at all going into the release of this film are you are you anticipating any particular type of reaction from people and i mean there have probably been people that have already seen it you've probably got some initial response what do you anticipate the reaction will be to this what are you hoping for yeah great question i don't really know i mean you can just hope as a filmmaker that people like it and um, I think, you know, we, when we, if you look at the comments on the trailer, right? And, and uh, if you're any artist at all that puts work out into the space, um, like even the gate where it's got, you know, you could have almost 4 million views on the gate and 90% likes. And then you've got the horrible, mean people in the world that are going to say bad things. Like you're always going to have that no matter what. Like, um, so you just got to get used to it. I'm not super sensitive to it. It's like, if they're like, I hate this, this is the worst thing I've ever seen. Now, if everyone said that, then you know, then you rethink your artistry, you know, I would be like, maybe, but since most people really, really, really love the gate, 
and you get the, the majority of the positive feedback, that's all you can hope for because you're always going to have haters. I'm sure you know that running a podcast. Oh, yes. It's like anytime <laughs> you put yourself out there, I don't care who you are. You could be Brad Pitt. You could be you. You could be me. It doesn't matter who you are. You're going to have people that love you, people that hate you. So you just have to do your art, but you hope that it's the majority. So anyway, having said that, um, there's going to be the people that are like, dude, this sucks. Like, it's got nothing to do with the franchise. Like, you know, where is, where is Cam? And we want, we where's Michael Jai White? You know, we want right. those fighters back. And then there's going to be people, be people that like really appreciate, thank God this is new and original and fresh. And oh my God, like I haven't seen this before. And the tone is so unique. And oh, thank God, because we've seen these fight movies a thousand times. So hopefully people walk away with that. So far on these interviews, people have been so positive and complimentary, but I guess they probably won't tell me they hate the film to my face. <laughs> if they hated it, like, I don't know, Jason, if you hated it, would you say, I thought the film sucked? Um, I think it would depend on how much I don't like it, but I try to be right. fair. <laughs> so the movie, right. the movie is Never Back Down Revolt. It's out on digital and Blu-ray. Are there particular places where people need to go to see this as far as the digital downloads? I think, um, you should be able to find it readily on pay-per-view, on-demand, digital dvd blu-ray all those spaces and then it is going to hit a streamer at some point but we just don't know when okay. we don't know which streamer um i got some whisperings that it could be apple um but don't quote me on that it'll it'll be at one of the streamers but it should be readily available um everywhere all right and to find you you are on the socials, you're on Twitter here, Director Madison there, and on Instagram, and the website, madisonfilms.com. Let me get back to the homepage here and see what that does. The uh, socials. Oh. Oops. There's a video that's supposed to be there. Okay, so that's all right. Well, Instagram, uh, and, Instagram and Twitter, I would expect, is where people can find you the easiest, yes? Uh, absolutely, but I actually have a pretty large front on Facebook, too, so if you're oh, Facebook, Facebook, I'm kind of old school that way, so if you're a Facebook kind of guy, you can find me just at plain old Kelly Madison, and K-E-L-O-I-E, so shoot me a little message there, and um, yeah, you'll be able to get updates, because I'll, I'll give frequent updates on the socials about what's going on with the film, or if there's any changes, or if we're going to announce another sequel, or anything like that, and Definitely let me know what you think of the movie. I'm excited to get people's feedback. I always like feedback. All right. Well, we will do that. Good luck with the film and good luck with whatever next project you've got in the works. And we'll have you back. Talk about it. Thank you so much, Live from the Bunker. <laughs> right. It's been a joy talking to you. And I can't wait to be in that next, you know, the opening segment. I, I'll send you a link. <laughs> All right. It sounds good. Thanks, Ed. All right. All right, there it is, the uh, interview with Kelly Madison. And it's uh, good to see uh, an active chat. I see Robert, I see Sci-Fi Snob. I see, let's see, I saw a name that I didn't, I've not seen before. Gulag for Life. Good to have you along with us as well. If you are new to the channel, we do invite you to subscribe, have your notifications turned on, 
And Robert, uh, to answer your question here, a completion bond, I'm just gonna pull this up here just to, to hopefully not get too deep in the weeds. A completion bond's a contract, this is from Investopedia, so you know your mileage may vary on this. Let me turn this down a little bit. Uh, completion bond guarantees monetary compensation if a given project is not finished, provides protection if the contractor runs out of money or any other budgetary issues come up during the project. So it's not just for the entertainment world. Um, some construction projects and that kind of thing also do completion bonds. Uh, but it is a, a form of insurance policy. And the other part of that, we're talking about fights and stunts and that kind of thing and actors wanting to do their own. You look at somebody like Tom Cruise, for example, who absolutely just has to do all of his own stunts and... There are times when insurance companies will cringe at that because, you know, if your lead actor gets severely injured or mortally wounded or dies on set, then you can't finish the picture. And insurance companies take a dim view to your stars wanting to do a whole lot of their their own stunts so there is there is that factor as well but a lot of it does depend on what kind of picture you're making and uh if if the if the studio is willing to pony up whatever money if you if you end up running out of money on your production uh then the studio could end up giving you more if they so choose like in the case with star trek the motion picture for example uh, but, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a per project basis, depending on who's, you know, how much it costs, how much it's, uh, how much it is to, to finish the picture and, and get all of the, get all of the, uh, the special effects and the editing and the post-production and all that other stuff. So it's, um, it's a complicated thing. And yes, Hollywood, uh, Hollywood accounting is such where there are a lot of times the profits get hidden in various different expense lines on the ledger. So there are some, I, I was reading in Mark Cushman's books about the Star Trek series, that a lot of the, the original series, they went for a very long time with, with the syndication and the merchandising and all of the other stuff, and basically for years said, we're not making any money. And so none of the actors saw any royalties. Uh, I think Shatner and, and Nimoy had a royalty deal out of the original series. And they didn't get anything for a long while. So Hollywood accounting being what it is, nobody ever makes any money. I guess. All right. So that's going to do it for us today. Coming up tomorrow on the program. I tell you, we've got a, we got a packed week. Uh, David Luxton is going to be our guest. He is a, 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 a hyphenate. He is an author. He is a composer. I have a history with him personally because he's done uh, film scores for me. He's done this. He did the, the score for uh, The Apology Dance, which was my romantic comedy. And then he also has done music for our uh, Statement of Randolph Carter adaptation so he's going to be here to talk about the two books that he's got in the in the science fiction sphere and then on thursday uh author tony quintana is going to be here we just got his book yesterday we 
unboxed this last night during uh, the H2O podcast where we were talking about all of the Disney Plus Day announcements. So you go check that out as well. And um, yeah, we'll do this all again tomorrow. So thanks very much for being here, everyone. Thanks to Kelly for for carving out some time on her press day so we could record that interview. And uh, we will be back with more tomorrow live from the bunker. Remember, there are four lights. Copyright 2021 by Flaming Dog Media, LLC. All rights reserved. No portion of this program may be retransmitted without the express written consent of Flaming Dog Media.